0: when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash morningcup. That's rocketmoney.com slash morningcup. Rocketmoney.com
1: slash morningcup. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a 4-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, Stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match. Which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com slash Morning Cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health.
1: There were two more murders, 15 miles away. When police the arrived, right they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a
0: weird homicide. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Imagine being in the wrong place at the wrong time and being implicated in a gruesome murder. On February 4th, 1983, a young woman was brutally stabbed to death. And if he is to be believed... The man who was executed for her crime simply thinks he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On February 4th, 1983, George Aguirre stopped at the Shamrock gas station in Corpus Christi, Texas around 8 p.m. and began filling his van. As he let his eyes wander, he noticed a man standing just outside of the station, wearing blue pants and a long-sleeved t shirt details that would later be deemed as incredibly important. The man was drinking a beer and playing with a knife. Nervous about this man and his knife, George started to look at him a little more closely as the man came up to him and asked for a ride to the casino club, a local bar, even offering to pay for his troubles." George declined and went into the station to pay for his gas, and to warn the gas station attendant, a 24-year-old woman named Wanda Lopez, about the strange man with a knife wandering around outside, telling her it would probably be a good idea to call police. After giving his warning, George walked back to his car just as the unknown man entered the station. George drove off and made a U-turn into the adjacent freeway, and when he did, he saw the man and Wanda struggling inside of the store. He immediately pulled off the freeway and straight to a nearby gas station to call police. He and the officers arrived back at the Shamrock around the same time. Unfortunately, it was too late for Wanda Lopez. She had been stabbed multiple times with a buck knife while still on the phone with 911. She had heeded George's warning, and the operator could hear the young woman complying with her attacker saying, You want it? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'm not going to do nothing to you, please. The crime itself was observed by two witnesses. The first was a man named Kavon Baker, who stopped at the gas station to grab some gas. As he walked into the store to ask Wanda to activate his pump, he saw an unshaven man in a flannel shirt inside of the gas station trying to drag Wanda into the back by her hair. The unknown man saw Kavan and said, I got a gun, get back. A story that would change while testifying in court to the assailant saying, don't mess with me before running away from the store. Now, here's where information starts to get dicey, because when questioned the night of the crime, a Sergeant Fowler reported that Cavan told him that the attacker ran east from the store. But Cavan later testified in trial that he said he ran off behind the station, a fact that mirrored what Sergeant Olivia Escobedo said that night in her report. Yet the original police radio alert made by a Sergeant Bruno Mejia said that the suspect was fleeing northbound on foot to the rear of the store. Regardless, as the man ran into the night, Wanda Lopez staggered to Kevon Baker, asking him to help her before slumping into the ground. He attempted to help in any way he could, holding paper towels to her wounds until police arrived. Around the same time of the attack and Kevon's involvement, a couple pulled into a nearby club where they saw a Hispanic man jogging away from the shamrock heading east. John and Julie Arsuega said that the man was wearing an untucked white dress shirt with the sleeves rolled up and dark pants, almost like he was in a work uniform. So with four witnesses and three different clothing descriptions and two different general directions, it was getting difficult to form a cohesive story. But despite the differing accounts of what happened that evening, a man named Carlos DeLuna was found about 30 to 40 minutes after the crime, a few blocks away and hiding underneath a parked car. Despite the chill in the air, he was found wearing no shoes or shirt and was lying in a puddle of water. In the pocket of his dark pants was a wad of bills totaling in $149. The strange thing was he didn't have a speck of blood on him. The crime scene left behind was an extremely bloody one. Though he did not have a shirt on, there was no blood ever found on his pants or that had been soaked into his skin. He did, however, have fingernail scratches on his arms and face. The police brought Carlos back to the crime scene and asked both Kavan Baker and George Aguirre to take a look and see if this was their man. Both looked inside and identified him as the man they saw attacking Wanda Lopez. The Arsuegas were too afraid to participate in this identification, but when shown his photo in a lineup, both positively identified Carlos de Luna as the attacker. Both Kavan and the Arsuegas were asked to identify Carlos in trial, but George Aguirre was not asked to participate in the court proceedings at all. Carlos de Luna was taken into custody that night and, prior to his trial, examined by two psychiatrists who were sent to determine if he had a mental defense. He told both of them that he had no recollection of anything that happened that night, not the attack, not his time trying to evade capture, and not his arrest. However, when he took the stand in his own defense, he had a little bit more to add. According to Carlos's story, on the evening of February 4th, 1983, he was out for the evening with his two sisters when he was approached by a man dressed in a blue shirt, black pants, and black shoes named Carlos Hernandez. He said he did not initially recognize Carlos, but after talking to him for a bit, remembered that he had been a childhood friend with whom he had lost touch. They chatted for a bit and at some point went off to a bar called Wolfie's that sat directly across the Shamrock gas station. While there, Carlos Hernandez told his old friend that he needed to go over to the gas station to get something and he would be right back. So Carlos ordered a beer and waited. After a bit, he wandered outside to see what was taking Carlos so long and saw his old friend across the street attacking the female gas attendant. Worried that people might say he was involved, Carlos de Luna started to walk away from the general area of the attack, not in the direction that the Asuegas saw the man fleeing. He walked calmly away until he heard sirens. As he began running, he said that as he climbed over the fence, the shirt he was wearing was ripped straight from his body explaining why police found him shirtless. Once his testimony was done, the prosecution had a chance to get some questions answered. When asked about the wadded up money, he said it was from his recently cashed paychecks. When asked about the white shirt and shoes found in a nearby yard, he said that they were not his. When asked why he all of a sudden remembered what happened that night, he admitted that he was a twice convicted felon, had lied to the psychiatrist out of fear. He also said that he was unable to identify Carlos Fernandez from his mugshot. So was this all one big story to try and get himself out of a serious legal charge? Or had Carlos de Luna really and truly been at the wrong place at the wrong time? The prosecution wasn't buying it. With some digging, they found out that one of the sisters he claimed to spend the evening with was at a baby shower that night and that he had lied about his whereabouts to his parole officer, and that he frequented the casino club, the club that George Aguirre said the unknown man at the station had asked for a ride to. After deliberating the facts of the cases for four and a half hours, the jury convicted Carlos de Luna of capital murder. He was later, after testimony was heard of his prior attempts at rape, sentenced to death for the murder of Wanda Lopez. While in prison, Carlos maintained his story about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. His lawyers, on the other hand, believe that he and Carlos Hernandez robbed the store together, though it was Hernandez who did the actual stabbing. That the reason Carlos didn't identify his accomplice was that he was afraid of getting hurt in prison or killed on the streets if set free. And despite his execution on December 7th, 1989, there have been a number of people who agree and continue to fight for Carlos de Luna. In fact, both the Chicago Tribune and the Columbia Human Rights Law Review are so certain that it was Carlos Hernandez who should have stood trial for the crime that they have written a number of articles and something called the Columbia Report to try and prove it. The Columbia Report, which was published in May of 2012, has investigated and focused on a number of discrepancies in the case, such as the different descriptions of what the attacker wore that night, a different opinion on the facial hair growth of the man seen, and the vastly different ideas of which direction they all saw the man take off towards. According to their investigation, the police radio traffic describing the manhunt was chaotic at best, and that the minute they found Carlos DeLuna, they ceased any and all search into another suspect. Not only that, but the police and lawyers insisted that Carlos Hernandez... Was a fictional man created to try and make Carlos de Luna look innocent. In actuality, he was a real man and a well known criminal who had a history of assaulting women, robbing gas stations, and carrying a similar knife to the one used to kill Wanda. He died of cirrhosis of the liver in a Texas prison in 1999. The report, it seems, has proven Carlos de Luna's claims and means that an innocent man was executed for a murder he did not commit. The report itself has, understandably, also drawn a large amount of criticism from officials in Corpus Christi. So, was Carlos de Luna truly just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Or was he involved in the robbery, but not the murder? Or did he truly commit the crime he was executed for? Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on February 5th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25 percent by bundling home, auto and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com.